0: pastors here at Redeemer. And uh, we're going to start a new sermon series through the Ten Commandments today. And we're going to give the context for that series through uh, Exodus 19. And the the text that you have in your liturgy on the QR code or what you see up here, we're actually only going to go through verse six uh, this morning. And so this is God's word to you today. Says this: On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, "Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel." And these are the two verses we're mainly going to focus on. So it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence before I uh, preach. And what we're doing in that space is remembering that God's present here with us. And that's so easy to forget. It's very easy to speak about God and forget that we're actually engaging with him in this exact moment. And so that's very important. God gives us instruction. He speaks tenderly and affectionately to us at all times. And so when we pray in that moment of silence, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and and teach teach us that that's actually true. Um, And so would you do that with me right now? Father, we come yet again to your word. And uh, there are so many things going on in the life of each individual story, even within this room. And we're just one tiny part of our city, and our city is one tiny part of the entire globe. And Lord, our world is hurting. Our world is hurting from so many things. And yet you are timeless in how you speak into each age, that you give instruction that is both objective and also practical for each people, for each age of human existence. And so, Lord, uh, that's what we want to tap into today. We want to engage with you. We don't want to just speak about you, but we want you to speak to us. And we trust that you can. And so would you do that now by the Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. So... We are uh, starting a new series. We're going to talk about the context of God's law today. And maybe more than anything I've heard holistically over the past couple of years is that people are longing, myself included, we're longing for direction and guidance, uh, longing for guidance in the midst of tumultuous times. If I hear the word unprecedented one more time, you know, over the past couple of years, but that's uh, showing like the stirring of the human heart holistically. And I just want us to all recognize, like we're all clearly going through something. And we have been over the past couple of years, something that's unearthing, something that's uh, challenging. What, no matter your background, your age, what part of the globe you're on, your economic status, we're all in it together. And many of us have seen uh, the failures of leaders, over the past couple of years, and the reason why is because we are also unsure of the future, and there are so many question marks, and the reason why is because nothing is certain about anything right now. I I was in another part of the country, and I heard another pastor say that his friend took him out to coffee, and he really wanted to know what he thought about something and at one point over coffee, uh, he, was, he was pointing at him. And this was like an old-time friend, but he was also his pastor. And he said, I know, and I'm going to leave the name of this radio person uh, blank, so that, just because I think that's wise. But he said, I know what my radio guy thinks about this, but I don't even know what my friend and pastor thinks about blank. And uh, my pastor friend said, no, you do know, we just disagree. And, you know, the one thing that's clear that that we're all experiencing nationally, globally in this church is this deep, deep sense of of loss, of fracturing, of division, exhaustion, and confusion. Um, This is where the people of God are situated in the book of Exodus. During uh, very uh, large shifts of, evolving uh, shifts within the life of a community. And in the midst of that, Moses is given the law. He's given uh, instruction from God to give to the people. And the law, I do, I do want us to begin to embody and imagine what it would have been like to have been in the wilderness as a Jewish person. The law was way more than instruction, it really did. It encapsulated what a human being was supposed to be and do for for the flourishing of a person and how they were to relate to God on an individual and societal level. In Psalm 119, uh, it's this epic song about how perfect and beautiful the law is. And I shared this with the prayer group this morning. But in verse 23 and 24, this is what Psalm 119 says. Even though really important people like princes or what we would say today, like presidents, sit plotting against me. uh, Your testimonies in the midst of that, in the midst of tumultuous times, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The law. Now, um, anybody tried to reach out to a counselor over the past couple of years? Uh, They're all booked up. (laughs) Uh, and the reason why is because human beings desperately need to be heard and guided and loved and told how to live, what's good and what's wise. That's what we need. We're sheep. I mean, sheep are dumb, you know, and that's OK. OK. What what if there was a timeless instruction in each age of human existence that spoke in a practical way that was discernible to our time, but it was also transcendent, it was objective, it was not biased to a particular time in a particular place. It could speak objectively, and yet it was knowable. This is how the Bible speaks about the law. The covenant is what it calls it. And we're going to walk through the Ten Commandments of the course of this season in the life of Redeemer. Uh, and we're going to take a look today at the context of the law because it's very, very important to know the context of the law. And we're going to see three things about the context. The law is rooted in story. The law flows from relationship. And the law gives you work to do. It tells you to practice things in this world. So point one, the law is rooted in story. I want you to take a look at verse four and I want you to see how God is rooting the Israelites uh, in their story before giving them instruction. And he tells Moses to say, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, there's so much in that verse that we really could spend all day and and talk about it. But what's going on there is that God defeated the Israelites enemy, which was Pharaoh, the king, the monarch that enslaved them for a long time. He set them free through a bunch of water. And he mightily brought them through the desert on eagles wings is what it says for a purpose, that there was an end goal in mind, and the purpose was to commune with him, to worship him, to be with him. That God brought all that about so that people could be with him and that they could enjoy each other. So, I want you to imagine this. For 430 years, all the Israelites had known was slavery. You know, think like six generations, slavery. Slavery. They've been free in our passage for three months. Three. Um, they would have what we would call like neurological pathways in the brain where they would be more comfortable of thinking themselves, thinking of themselves as oppressed as opposed to free. Right. For generations. Look, I grew up in, uh, in Augusta, Georgia. My dad tells me this story and I confirmed it yesterday. In the 60s, he's riding around in a truck with an African-American man who was tending to his granny's grave. That's what they were doing. And on the way, he said, hey, white boy, do you want to bend down so that you don't have to be seen in a truck with a black man? Now, that's 100 years removed from slavery in our country. That that affects the way that people think about themselves. To be a slave, even generations removed. You guys know, like let's say your grandparent, your grandfather was abusive to your dad. How that can dramatically shape and affect the way that you are with your family. That these patterns, these ruts that we get in are deep. Now think about think about the text. How is God going to get his people To think differently about themselves. Verse four. I beat the thing that you've always been afraid of. Your oppressor. I beat them. I'm sufficient. And I like you. The thing that you have been uh, under for your entire life. On into generations in the past. I did away with it. And I did it in a cool way. I brought you on eagle's wings for the purpose of you being with me, of me speaking my love over you, of communion. God is in the business of reshaping who we think we are constantly. And he can do it. But he always does it indirectly. Uh, that's why if you've ever sat down with a counselor, you know, let's say you can't seem to quit punching through a wall, you got anger issues, um, and you sit you sit down with the counselor. What's the counselor going to say? The counselor is going to say, "Why don't you tell me what your upbringing was like?" You know, and typically that person's like, well, "Don't you're just going to psychoanalyze me?" And the therapist is going to say, "Well, maybe, but your behavior didn't just come to be in a vacuum." There was an environment in which you thought it was normal to punch through a wall or that was your response to whatever you were experiencing. What is that counselor doing? That counselor is rooting your behavior in a story. That's what God wants to do. Before he tells you what to do, before he tells you how to live, he wants to root you in the story of redemption. Which you have here in each of your individual lives and in the collective body that is redeemer. He's rooting what Moses is doing. God's doing through Moses is that he's rooting their behavior in the story. God wants to root the behavior of the law of his people in the fact that he likes to rescue people, that he's sufficient and that he likes you, that he's endeared towards you. All God's rules flow out of that great love story. That he is strong, sufficient, and steadfast in his love. And so that's the first point that the law is rooted in story. The second is that the law flows from relationship. And uh, it's very easy, you know, as modern people in the West, we just kind of assume that the divine would want to relate to us on a personal level. That was not assumed in the ancient world. That was strange. It was weird. And so there are these things called suzerain treaties back in the day where a strong king would beat a weak king. And then the strong king would list out on one side of a tablet. You do all this stuff, weak king. And if you don't, you're going to be my slave. Or if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Um, that was called a suzerain treaty. And, And what God does in the midst of that is that he speaks into that pattern and says, I'm gonna actually write you a treaty, people of Israel, but it's gonna be very different. And the way it's gonna be different is that I want to relate to you on a personal level. I don't just want you to do what I say because of outward conformity, but I wanna know you and I want you to know me. So much so that, I mean, it was bizarre that God would get his hands dirty with creation, like in Genesis 2. And when he creates Adam, it's mouth to mouth that a God would get that close to creation. But he does. And he says in verse five, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. We've talked about this before. But that word, treasured possession, it's segulah in the Hebrew, but it's like a pet name. It's God cooing over Israel, calling Israel beautiful, calling Israel his little darling. I don't know if you guys ever seen that movie, Uh, A Beautiful Boy, Steve Carell. He plays the uh, father of a drug addict. The drug addict is played by Timothy Chalamet. But there's this one part in the, in the movie, you know, Timothy Chalamet, just he can't get off drugs. And and Steve Carell starts singing over him and he just says, you're my you're my beautiful boy. And he can't help him. So that's how God relates to people. Um, you see it in, in the book of Hosea, even when people are sexually scandalous, it says God. God's like my heart recoils. I mean, I can't stay mad at you. That that's his instinct towards you and towards me and towards Israel that we are his treasured possession. Uh, Does that sound too good to be true? And if you have a hard time believing that that's how God relates to you, um, why does it kill us when like our parents are disappointed in us? Or why, if somebody of importance is like, if they compliment us, why does it make us feel like a million bucks? And I, I've used this example before, but, and my buddy was in a low spot when he heard this. But I have a friend once, he was walking into his apartment complex, and there is this woman on the second floor of the apartment complex, like hanging over the rail, looking at him as he was walking in. And uh, she just said, Hey, you look really good in blue. And he said, I went into my apartment and I thought about it for three hours. Now, why? It's because you and I are encoded for somebody to look at us and say, well done. Well done. I like you. You are my treasured possession. You're made for it. That's how God wants to relate to you. To give you... His divine smile. This is what God is constantly showing us in Jesus. You know, the more I think about Jesus's baptism, there is so much there. Um, But there is this phrase that God used when he was baptized. He he said, this is my son. You you guys can probably finish it. This is my son with whom what? I am well pleased. You know, when you're baptized, that's what you're baptized into, into the pleasure of God through Christ. When we think of obeying God's rules and his law, we, we often miss that obedience to God's ways, keeping the covenant um, is only possible from the heart. You do know that, right? Like outward conformity in your behavior without the heart is actually what God hates because it's a mask of what's true. That's what Jesus is going to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is what it looks like to have instincts towards God internally, not just to do what's right on the outside. And he's showing us what the embodiment of the law looks like in a fallen world and how to live it out. Jesus himself says on the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to live it out. I, I didn't come to loosen it or relax it. And here's where this, you know, this throws a lot of people into confusion about Christianity because you may even have a question like, okay, this is a Christian church. Why are we like looking at the Jewish law? And the reason why is because Jesus was the embodiment of that law and we are called to live in light of the moral law still. That this is good for human flourishing. That this is the embodiment of what human beings are supposed to be in in this world. And our problem today with many of us is that we think any sort of conformity to an outside entity or any sort of conformity that like pushes against my will is unwise for a person. And and so we don't tell our friends about the hard things that are in the Bible (laughs) because it's going to be. Offensive, um, but you guys know this. If you want to learn how to do something, um, there is challenge. There are challenges involved. There is pain at stake, and so you know. There's this one writer named Dallas Willard. He says you have to think of becoming um, a follower of God by in, in the way that like you're an apprentice. You're a, an apprentice of Jesus. You're learning the motions and rhythms of of what it means to follow our good shepherd. And one of the great things about Christianity is that you won't ever feel God's affection, really, this love that God has for you, unless you begin to live life the way that he's designed for you to live it. And when you do, it's like it's like drinking fresh water when you're dehydrated. The freest player on the field is the one who knows the rules so well that they don't even have to think about it. They stay within the rules. And so the question for us is, do you want to learn how to be God's image in the world? And that requires trust. Um, One pastor gave this illustration uh, a while back, and I'll never forget it. But he said, um, (laughs) you know, Mr. Miyagi was uh, the kids still know about Karate Kid today, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel. Uh, There we go. Amen. Yeah, I hear that. Um, When Mr. Miyagi was teaching Daniel how how to fight, what did he do? He took him to his car and he said, wax the car, wax on, wax off. And Daniel was like, what? This doesn't have anything to do with fighting. And Mr. Miyagi said, trust me. He was learning the the motions and rhythms, but he did it in a way that didn't make sense to him at first, which was very important because it required trust of the master. And Jesus wants to be your master. But he's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense to you at first. And that's intentional. Much of the law is not going to make a lot of sense at first, but God's training you to learn the rhythms and instincts of what it means to love him. And so the law gives us work to do. Verses five and six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure of possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests in a holy nation And so in the last part of that verse, the the two main ways that God instructs people to live is that we are to love neighbor and love him. The first four commandments and Ten Commandments have to do with our relation to God, our love of God. In the last six deal with how we relate to one another. And uh, that's what we see as a summary in that verse. So kingdom of priests is how we are to relate to other human beings. And the point is, and we don't have a ton of time to get into this, but Israelites were meant to be an avenue by which the other pagan peoples got into contact with God. Meaning Israel existed for the sake of other people, that they existed as conduits by which people came into contact with God, portals. Now, what does that mean for you? It means that you, even if you don't believe in God, this is your design. You exist to show people who God is, to bring people near to God. That you are most free when that happens. That a human being is most full when they draw people into God's presence. Now, how do we do that? Through not killing each other. Through honoring our parents. Through not lying or stealing or coveting. Jesus is going to show us how to do that when he comes on the scene from the heart. But he shows us this is what Jesus is doing. He's showing us how to relate to our neighbor as carefully and lovingly as we relate to ourselves. Which is hard work. Second aspect of the work that God has called the Israelites and consequently us to do is to be a holy nation. Now, more on this coming in the few in the next weeks, but. Holiness means to exist yourself within the presence of God. And the challenge with existing in the presence of God is that God consumes all things that hinder us from operating against our design, i.e. sin. And so when you get near to God, what begins to happen is that he makes you do business with him from the heart. He makes you hone in on that area of your heart where you're hating other people and where you're hating him. And he wants to shine a light on that, not so that he can make you feel guilty, but so that he can draw you into who you actually are, his image. And at some point, this is how you know it's beginning to happen in your life. At some point, you're going to say, I'm obeying God. I'm following the 10 commandments because I actually want to. I'm following the Ten Commandments because like this is the good, like this is the bucket list. That's when you know that God's got you. That the Christian is one when no one's looking. Because they want to be. So how do you get there? And uh, how do you know if you're heading in the right direction? And I want to give three uh, very practical examples and we're going to close today. I think the first and maybe biggest one. that you know God's got you, is if you learn to receive suffering, you don't have to like suffering, but what suffering can do, if you know this God, is that it can draw you closer and closer and closer and closer to Him. And here's how you know if you're heading in the, right, the wrong direction, is if suffering makes you more and more and more bitter. Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the wave that knocks me against the rock of ages. And what that means practically is that, let's say something comes into your life that you don't want there, that you know is going to be hard, um, that you begin, this is how it starts, you begin to observe it instead of just asking for it to go away immediately. You observe it, and you ask God, what, what are you doing here? Second, um, do you fi- how do you do the work that God's called us to do? Are you finding yourself dreaming and meditating on the good of other people or more on their bad. When you meditate about other people, do, does what come? Does what comes to mind? Oftentimes, is it their flaws, or do you imagine how God sees them? Love of neighbor means that you you control your mind. To dwell on the good of another person, especially when they hurt you. To bless when others curse. And third, how do you do the work of God? I'm going to tell you something that I do, very practical. You don't have to do it. I'm just telling you what I do, just to kind of get some hooks, you know, on something you can hang your hat on. Uh, I have trouble sleeping. When I can't sleep at night, um, I listen to the Bible. And Christine Getty, I think she reads the ESV. She talks Irish. Um, Psalm 1 says that if you meditate on the law during the day and the night, you become like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. Uh, your spiritual rhythms of reliance on God, it takes work. It's hard. <coughs> Uh, But God delights to train us. He delights in it. Look, if Steph Curry offered to give me a three-point shooting lesson and spend an hour with me, I'd take him up on it. Um, The law and Jesus as the goat of human beings is perfect. And he wants to train you. We're not justified by the law, but it's how we exercise our true gifts and our freedom as image bearers in this world. And so go to him. It's here. It's always available. Um, The law is rooted in story. It flows from relationship and it gives you work to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, your son Jesus and as we think about the instructions that you've given to us Lord help us to see them not as restrictive uh, but as the way